Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. If you could trade a bench warmer for the greatest of all time, you'd do it, right? Get your business a game-changing pickup by choosing the commerce platform with the internet's best converting checkout. That's Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you possibly need to take control and take your business to that very next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank squad and welcome to Ranks FC and welcome to Champions League takeaway here on the podcast. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me is our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, um, our late night Champions Leagues are here when we both have to talk a little bit quieter because we don't wake everybody up in our houses. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'll sort out in was... post-production, it'll be all right. <laughs> it's... Um... It's been a bit of a wild night, really, hasn't it? There's been goals all over the place. It was a bit of a mad one. It was a bit of a wild week in the Champions League, actually. And and to be honest, when you get to this stage, match day five, qualification berths up for grabs, the occasional rotations from teams who are already not, you know, qualifying for the knockouts, it does add a little bit of sort of jeopardy, I suppose, and random spaces into the into the competition that maybe you don't get in rounds one and two. Mm. So it's it's nice to be here. It's nice to be discussing it. I think it makes sense for us to start today with Tuesday's action and to start with PSG Newcastle because I have seen nothing over the news in the last couple of days to suggest, or the last couple of hours, I should say, to suggest that people are done discussing this. The late penalty 
given to PSG, converted by Kylian Mbappe to make the score one all, and to flip this group a little bit on its head once again. It looked like Newcastle were in the in the driving seat to qualify uh, until the very dying seconds of this one. And there's been a lot of uproar, a lot of righteous uproar, I think, from from many places about the penalty being given. But there was more to this game than that. There was. I mean, my takeaway is going to be a little contentious and I'm not doing this to wind people up. I'm going to say this as is, okay? Because my takeaway is that I think I'm the only person in the world who thinks it was a penalty. I haven't had this conversation with anyone since it no, happened. I'm, I'm pretty stunned, to be honest. Mate, I was watching the game and I'm watching it without sound because that's what I do quite often on Champions League nights. And I'm just watching it play out and the ball comes in and I go, penalty. That is a penalty, right? So I'm like, okay. And I'm kind of like, what I've obviously know it's going to, it's Newcastle are going to kick off and stuff. I know it's dramatic. And it goes to VAR and I look up and I'm like, it's a pen. And obviously, I'm not listening to the stuff. I, I, can, I can see how irate everybody's getting. And then it's given. And obviously, I start to turn the volume up because I need to hear what everybody's saying and, and, and the rest of it. And I understand, like, through years of being a journalist, that it's going to be contentious. And obviously, Newcastle were annoyed because they're deep, deep into added time of a famous win and a much-needed win. And I also know that since this, the VAR official was being stood down and everyone literally everyone is saying it's not a pen but if that was on if the boot was on the other foot here if that was newcastle attacking psg and they're 1-0 down and that moment happens do they not want a penalty are, are you telling me that they would not feel cheated out of out of that moment if that penalty wasn't given yeah, I, I think they would want the penalty, but I think they would probably be like, it's not a pen. I, I don't know. Julian. Why Lamont is it not? What, what, why is well, it, it so not chest. a pen? It why is it so not first, a pen? Right. Now, I know this rule has been scrapped. And yeah, I saw Christina Uncle talking about this on the Paramount coverage of it and, and the CBS stuff. And that rule has been scrapped, but I think his arm's in a relatively natural position. I don't care. It hit his hand. And, it, and if, it, if it doesn't hit his hand, the ball deflects differently. And PSG have an opportunity to score in that moment to get the equaliser. That's, that's my point. Like, I understand. It goes back to the whole, is he supposed to play without arms debate? No, it doesn't. No one's ever played football without arms. These penalties have been given for years. Like these, these penalties have been given. People act like this, a penalty like this has never been awarded. Of course it has. It just hasn't been in with these stakes with Newcastle there against PSG with an injury crisis in the last seconds of a Champions League. And with loads of people who have attachment to Newcastle yeah, inside the stadium true. telling us their views that it's not a penalty. I've seen like, I've tried to come out of it a little bit and read views um, on posts from other people who aren't from England and a lot of the thing is like is it that big a deal? I think it's a pen and I'm like I'll be so caught up in this because it, we're in England and because it's an English team that have been hurt I, look, I, I do have some sympathy I do understand that it is harsh but I don't think it's like 100% not a penalty. Okay fair enough I can, I can accept that but in this case it's overturned right by VAR so the, the the difference is, I suppose, that, you know, we've just watched, I've just watched one overturned similarly going the other way, which also mm. I thought was in the Bayern game right at the death in that one, which I think is probably the sensible decision. But equally, I don't really understand how both of them can be different decisions. They don't make sense in, in tandem, if you will. And yeah. I think maybe the, the question mark is not necessarily if this penalty had been given, would, you know, would people go in screaming that it shouldn't have been overturned? Maybe less so. I think it's the fact that it's not that clear cut and it gets overturned. Maybe, maybe that's the thing that makes the difference. If it had been given as a penalty and then they had gone you know, to a VAR check and said there's not enough evidence to overturn it the other way, I think the vitriol would have been dialed down a level. But because it was overturned, and it's perhaps not 100% one way or the other, that's where I think people are starting to get very, very irate about things. Yeah, look, let's take it as pretend video technology doesn't exist. I reckon 50% of refs would have given it, 50% wouldn't. 
it's it's that's it i i genuinely think it's it's straight down the middle and and one thing we've learned is that var has not taken that element of luck out of the game we thought it would with that the whole point of it and the whole point that they want to get to with var is that they do not want luck or bias to have any way of determining the outcome of these 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 moments and it's definitely not happening like that in fact it's going the other way and then um to, to take this on because this narrative isn't going to die I, I decided to dig into a couple of newcastle um fan forums to uh earlier today to just see like what they how they were actually taking this on obviously like there's loads of outrage and anger in there yeah. but this is this is running so deep now that it's like becoming political and like one of the posts that I'll, I'll read out that kind of sums up what I was reading, someone's put in there, um, everyone that was watching can see this was not a penalty. Every pundit says it. All the fans of other teams are saying it too. This referee was having a good game. He's one of the best referees in the world. There's no way he looked at those replays and actually made a mistake. It's not possible. It was so clear cut that it wasn't a penalty. Here we go. Get ready, lads. The Qataris paid the referees off because they can't stand to be embarrassed by Saudis. They already have history for bribing football officials. He wasn't the only one saying this. And it's like, oh, this is now a problem. Like, this is where this is going to go. And it's like, I don't like it. I'm not going to go into detail on this. But, like, I just wanted to show, like, because of the contentiousness of the moment and like the anger that follows and the spite and the frustration that it starts to run deeper and you start to genuinely believe there's a vendetta against your football well, club. maybe we shouldn't have nation states owning football clubs but you know that might just <laughs> yeah, be, me. That'd be that a might good be place me. to start wouldn't you, it? Know, <laughs> you know so but also you know without that on newcastle in this game to begin with so question marks oh, in, in terms of how deep that runs look yeah. i agree i think i'll tell you you're getting we're getting to a point where everything has to be an agenda yes. it has to be oh there is something written in against my club there are different things and look i'm not sitting here pretending that football is a perfect world and that there aren't these things going on because they're very much what might be but i don't think this decision is based on one of those no i just don't think it's a penalty but no, I can absolutely understand the logic and where you're coming from. I, yeah, I just, and I, do I you know what? I, I really weighed up whether to even go in on this because, like, I I could just be an idiot. I could just be the only person in the world not saying this because I'm wrong. Like that, that that could be true. But like, I I'm just watching it as I've always watched football, and in that moment. I didn't have a problem with it being given as a penalty. So I thought it was worth putting out there seeing as no one else is saying it. But mate, there's one other thing. Let's take it away from that because something nice is happening at Newcastle. And the other takeaway is that Lewis Miley has done unbelievably well in this game. He's 17 years old. To play like that in a game of that stature is unbelievable. Like this lad uh, doesn't turn 18 till May. Like he's been thrown into this Newcastle team. Uh, he's taking the ball on the half turn. He's taking up unbelievable positions. Clearly a very advanced player for his age. And while his performance has got lost in a bit of the aftermath of this game, um, it needs to come back around to make sure everybody recognises what he's achieving here. He became the third youngest Englishman to start a Champions League match behind Jude Bellingham and Phil Foden. Like, that's how good this is. Um, it's not bad and company, look, is it? Not bad at all, is it? And look, if there's any good to have come out of Newcastle's injury problems, it's that this lad has got an unexpected opportunity to play on this platform and set himself... Uh, faster on the route to becoming a star because if this is how good he can perform then we're going to be hearing a lot more about him a lot quicker than we probably would have otherwise yeah absolutely he was he was sensational I agree and and actually the calmness there was a lot of discussion at the weekend about Kobe Mainu right and the fact that he had walked in and been so composed Lewis Miley's been doing this for a little while and no one's been talking about it and actually the fact that he has been so so calm and composed in the middle of this Newcastle midfield, but also able to add that dynamism that Eddie Howe demands from his midfield three. There's so much about his game that I really, really like. And you're right. If they're, you know, obviously Newcastle would prefer to have a full strength set up and no one injured. But these opportunities come around sometimes and it's up to players to grasp them with both hands. And we've seen players launch careers off less than this. Remember Marcus Rashford being dropped in yep. against Nordjylland, was it, or Midtjylland, um, and and sort of basically fast-tracking himself into the Manchester United first team and 
you know, a couple of years later, established superstar in the Premier League. I think that we're seeing the same from from Lewis Miley, and I think it's not going to be not going to be long before he becomes a starter, even in a full strength Newcastle team. Could happen. Could happen. All right, I want to take it on. And actually, I'm going to take us on to the other game in this group, which works quite nicely. Uh, Milan lost 3-1 at San Zero to Borussia Dortmund. And my takeaway from this, DJ, was that Dortmund are developing into quite a tasty little knockout side. Now, they're already quite far off the pace in the Bundesliga. And there's no doubt that they remain inconsistent and it doesn't look like they're going to be able to challenge in a way that they did last year, albeit somewhat unexpectedly towards the end of last season, for that Bundesliga crown. I think the emergence of Bayer Leverkusen as a serious force has probably knocked them back a few steps. And I imagine there are question marks being asked around you know, the back room at Borussia Dortmund as to how Leverkusen, with less financial and probably sort of stature pull than Borussia Dortmund, have been able to supersede them in this kind of way. But I do like what I'm seeing in games like this from Borussia Dortmund. Now, they've gone to San Siro and won. They've gone to St. James's Park and won. And I think that whilst they might not be the finished article in terms of competing throughout a full season, actually what we are seeing is a team that are going to give anybody a game in the knockouts. Now, they've booked their spot in the knockout rounds. It looks very much like they're going to end up winning this group. And actually how this plays out could be very, very interesting because if they get a nice draw in the round of 16, which they very much could do, especially if they do top the group, mm-hmm. then they're going to be a handful for anybody in the quarters. And they're growing into a changed team. And obviously we saw Jude Bellingham leave last summer and leave a gaping hole in the midfield. We'll talk about him a bit later. But actually what we're seeing from them is they're able to mutate. They're able to adapt in games to deal with different issues. It was a bit of a funny game because if Olivier Giroud scores the early penalty, maybe Mm -hmm. it goes a different way. But Gregor Kerbel's a very good goalkeeper. He makes a good stop. And Dortmund goes straight down the other end. He gave the ball to Jamie Bino-Gittens. He's fouled in the box. Roy steps up where Giroud couldn't. He fires Dortmund into the lead. Then they take a bit of a hit because Sammy Chukweze scores a really, really good equaliser just before the break. And Chukweze had a tough start to life in Milan, I think, after that transfer from Villarreal in the summer. But he dances inside a couple of defenders, unleashes into the far corner. And at that point, you're going, OK, Milan at San Siro, a lot on the line here in terms of their qualification. How does this play out? And yet, Dortmund come out in the second half. Bino Gittin, so he's already got the assist for the first goal by winning the penalty. He scored at the weekend scored again here, he's really starting to emerge as that player that I think a lot of people at Borussia Dortmund feel he can be. And look, they've obviously brought through a lot of excellent wingers. We talk about Jaden Sancho and the impact he had at Borussia Dortmund. You look before that, Usman Dembele and the impact he had, Christian Pulisic. A lot of players have, have kind of found their starts at Borussia Dortmund. And look, not all of them have gone on to absolutely hit the heights that maybe we expected of them. But there is a lot of chatter around Dortmund that Bino Gittens, they believe in him. I know he's someone that's worked with head coach Harry Brooks before and, and Harry's talked about, you know, the, the skill set he has and how he's quite unique. But just his calmness under pressure and his ability to, to make defenders commit seems to be really starting to kick into gear. And I think as this Dortmund side grow, Adiemi scores a third and it's really mind to keep it out, but it is what it is. The way that they continue to grow with this young team I just feel like Borussia Dortmund are going to come good at the right time in a couple of cup, cup competitions. Now, obviously, we've seen Bayern already out of the DFL, DFB Pokal. And I just think that where we are in this kind of stage, Borussia Dortmund might bloody some noses here. So that's my big takeaway. I think they're just developing into a side that look like they're going to cause headaches for teams who might on paper be a better unit than them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I love the love for Jamie Bonner-Gittens. I mean, he's somebody that... Um... I love watching play. Um, obviously, he he left Man City to go and join Dortmund when he was very young. Uh, he's only nineteen now, and he went there like three years ago. Um, so it was a big step for him to to make that jump. Um, and he's just recently agreed a new deal at Dortmund at a time when a few English clubs were starting to inquire about him, just wondering if he was actually going to get the opportunity there because 
it's been um not frustrating because he's so young but like you, you've been wondering how he fits in um so when I saw last night that he'd got himself on the score sheet and then I read a bit deeper and heard that he'd actually had a really good impact in the game I was really pleased and I hope that this is this is a big season for him because he's genuinely like such a big talent um he'd represented England at like every age group um from like I think when he was like 13 14 so he's he's certainly got all the attributes um in terms of growing up and being taught the right way coming through at clubs like Chelsea Man City and yeah let's see if he can can go and cause some havoc in in the knockouts so an interesting thing from Raphael Honigstein, who made the point that this was the group of death, right? By by a long way. We talked about it as the group F for fun, but it was obviously the group of death. Borussia Dortmund, Paris Saint-Germain, Newcastle United and AC Milan. It was a huge task. And I don't think anybody had Dortmund three points clear, especially with the way they started the season, after five match days in this group. The last time, Honigstein pointed this out, the last time Dortmund were in a group of death in the Champions League, they played Real Madrid, Manchester City and Ajax in 2012-2013. And that year, they reached the final at Wembley. Mm. There you go. That's fun. That's that fun. is fun. That's narrative. Um, that is a much harder group of death than this one. <laughs> perhaps. 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 That is. Um, all right. Uh, I'm going to move us on to Manchester City, actually. They won at 3-2 against RB Leipzig. They came back from 2-0 down. So City have scored three goals in every single one of their five games in the Champions League so far, which yeah. is pretty impressive. They are perfect with 15 points and 15 goals scored. But there's this kind of dichotomy and duality to Manchester City at the moment in that they feel a bit wobbly, but they're still world-class. And I've used the word wobbly to describe Barcelona a couple of weeks back, and I don't really mean it in the same sense. It almost feels like City need to be jarred into action. And this is something that I've, I've talked about for Real Madrid before. Sometimes when Real Madrid are cruising, they kind of, the Bernabeu doesn't get going until they're sort of 2-0 down to Real Sociedad. And then suddenly they get going and, and they win 4-2. There is an element of this where, look, Ruben Diaz had a really bad game here. So just rub salt in Sam's wounds after he was ranking him so highly in that <laughs> centre-backs ranking on, on, on He can't Wednesday. believe it. But they were actually really undone by some very basic stuff from RB Leipzig. It was straight through Lois Appender, who scored a brace. Both goals, he basically just burst beyond the back line and finished. It wasn't particularly difficult. The mm. second one, he does a really lovely little check back in order to just open up the angle for himself. But yeah. neither of the goals are particularly hard. You know, you wouldn't be looking at those going, oh, right, cool. They've, they've done something particularly intricate there. It's all just quite, okay hits City through the middle, and they might be a little bit weak. And Akanji is to blame for the first goal, Ruben Dias probably for the second. And when you kind of look at where they were at half-time, you're going, what's happened here? Obviously, City have made a few changes, but then they just find their groove. And, and Pep said he didn't really have to say anything at half-time. He just sort of looked at them. And he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and mm. after the break, they suddenly find this groove. Erling Haaland hits back quite quickly. 40 goals in this competition. That's another record. He's reached that milestone in fewer games and at a younger age than any other player in Champions League history. But suddenly, just City came out to play. And the changes that Pep made at halftime, Alvarez and Doku, made a real difference. It was after halftime, wasn't it? It was, like, it was like 10 minutes into the second half. Yeah, but like the ones that they, they turned the game and suddenly it was like Foden was, was dripping in, in space because Doku was driving men in, Alvarez was was buzzing all over the place, and Foden was the man who came up the goods to level the tie. It was a really good finish. Um, the first touch out of his feet to send the defender is glorious. But City had only needed a point to secure top spot. Um, Leipzig did have a goal ruled out after that. Um, Fabio Carvalho came on. He loved scoring at the Etihad. I know this one yeah. didn't count, but he scored there in the League Cup for Liverpool last season. I think he scored there twice for Fulham. He just likes that stadium. Maybe he should have signed for City instead. He would have maybe <laughs> had, a, had a better time of it. But Alvarez steps up, um, finishes off a lovely team move, and City win the game. And I was watching Stephen from his team company after the game, watching his kind of reaction to it. And he was saying, I love games like this. He's like, because actually if we'd won 2-0 tonight and it had been really easy, it would have felt almost routine. 
And actually, it almost felt like City were spurred to their best by the fact that they fell behind. Now, I don't know if that's a worry in that they need to be given, you know, a kick up the arse, basically, in order to actually showcase quite what they can do. But in the second half, that's as good as we've seen City in a, in a little while, against a Leipzig team who should have been in the ascendancy at 2-0 up. And the way that they were just able to to pull this back, to real, you know, real Leipzig back in, it's a mark of champions. But more than that, it almost feels like it's part of City's arsenal now. It's a bit like, well, if you go 2-0 up against City, you can't, you know, are, are you safe? If you go 3-0 up against City, are you safe? I think the answer is probably no. And that's a terrifying place for opponents to be because they know that this side have the capability to to reel off goals in the way that they did in the second half. Yeah. The, my takeaway is that Jack Grealish is now a £100 million sub, mate. Um, look, him coming off and Doku coming on, the game changes. And it's not just because Doku was a different... Uh, has a different directness about him and a different probably confidence at the moment, but also because it allowed for... Grealish when he joined. Hey? It's a bit like Grealish when he joined. Yeah, I mean, I love Grealish, but I, I just think that when you look at what you're getting now from City when Doku's out there, they're a better version. And Foden immediately started to get into pockets. Foden was the game changer in this one in the second half. He was, he was sensational. But when I was thinking about it later, I was like, mm, Grealish dragged on 54 minutes. Like... It's not ideal. It's not ideal for him playing in a Champions League match against RB Leipzig when they've already qualified. Like, should be a really good occasion for him to like build minutes and um, get his stats up. Even like like RB Leipzig, I'm talking about them, like the mugs. They're obviously not, but that was a good game for him, and it hasn't come out in the wash that way. And Doku probably the plan wasn't probably to bring him on as early as that, but they've had to. So look. Yeah, City fans might have enjoyed watching their team have to work hard for that, but Pep didn't. Pep would not have enjoyed that. You see him with his head in his hands so many times in that match and rubbing his head. Um, it's probably because he's like, oh, I have to bring Doku on and give him more minutes. And he's having to talk afterwards about when's De Bruyne back? January. January. He's going back in January. Um, but yeah, interesting to see what happens with Greenish. I would just say that a couple of years back, Everyone was saying John Stones had to leave Manchester City because he wasn't getting any minutes and he looked like he was completely out of the setup and he's returned to be perhaps the most crucial component in this team. There is life in players and Pep likes to do this, take people in and out of the firing line and suddenly unleash them in a new role. And I think that Jack Grealish will return would be my, oh, yeah, my takeaway. Yeah, he's not going to be uh, he's not going to be shirking the challenge for sure. But I just find it interesting that this is what Doku's arrival is already doing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, the other game in this group, we'll do a quick roundup of everything else now. Uh, Young Boys beat Red Star Belgrade, or Skvarna Zvezda, 2-0. It was pretty comfortable. Red Star should have equalised at one all, but game got off to a really quick start. Young Boys really made a lot of noise in this stadium in Bern. I think it's the Vankdorf. Um, it was very, very loud. And one of those where you're kind of expecting, you know, this was basically a shootout for the for the other spot in the Europa League because the two teams in City's game had already qualified. I was expecting a little bit more from Red Star Belgrade, I'll be honest, and didn't get much of it. So young boys look like they're going to be in the Europa League in spring. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, in Barcelona's group, they won at 2-1 against Porto and qualified for the knockout stages. It looked for a little while like the demons of failing to qualify out of Champions League groups that have haunted Xavi in the last two seasons we're going to strike again. Um, but the Joao factor bailed Barcelona out of trouble. Um, Pepe scored, not Pep, the other one, the Brazilian one. Um, and he scored a really good goal after Porto had already had a goal disallowed for a very tight offside call. Um, but Joao Cancelo was completely at fault for the Porto goal and then went straight up the other end and scored a stunning equaliser to make up for it. And then turn provider for Joao Felix, who ended his 12-game goalless run for Barcelona. He scored five goals, I think, now for Barcelona in all competitions. But it's come in quite weird spurts, and he is a bit that kind of player. Um, But anyway, Barcelona are in the last 16, and they'll be delighted about that because it did look a little bit uncomfortable for a while. Porto are a good side, but you were kind of expecting Barcelona to be able to kick back out and end this 
barren run they've been on that where they haven't performed particularly well for a couple of games, basically since Bellingham went Bellingham on them in the Classico. Barcelona have just fallen apart and they really needed this one to just bounce themselves back into gear. And thankfully, they got what they needed. Mm. Um, Shakhtar beat Royal Antwerp 1-0. Antwerp have not got a point. They have not been very good, frankly, in this tournament. And it's been a pretty chastening campaign for them as well. Um, But this game now sets up a really good final day because we've got Porto against Shakhtar at the Dragao. Both teams on nine points. Winner joins Barcelona in the knockout stages. Loser goes into the Europa League. So that'll be a really fun game in match day six. I'm looking forward to seeing that one play out. Mm-hmm. Um, Feyenoord lost 3-1 to Atletico Madrid. Simeone's 100th Champions League match in charge of Atleti. Saw a really fun stat about this. Before Simeone, Atleti had only played 64 games in the Champions League. And this was their 100th game under him in the competition, which is pretty remarkable. Um, They scored one of the weirdest own goals. Well, Feyenoord scored one of the weirdest own goals I've ever seen. Really early Mm -hmm. on, Hertreuda sort of nibbles the ball past his own goalkeeper. It's absolutely mad. Um, But then Mario Hermoso scored probably the goal of the night. Um, He hooks one over his shoulder. I'm not 100% sure he's trying to score, yeah. I will be honest. But it's a brilliant goal, beautiful goal. Um, first time on the run, loops over the keeper. And then it was like, oh, okay. Atleti are just cruising, they're comfortable. Griezmann nearly scored. Um, Mats FIFA did pull one back from a corner. It was a bit of a strange goal because you don't really expect Atleti to score from corners. Um, but they went straight back up the other end and they forced a second own goal. This one was unfortunate. The first one is ridiculous. The first, the second one's unfortunate. Santi Jimenez tries to get up and head it away and it just skims off the top of his head and, and fires in. It put the result beyond doubt. I really like how Atleti are starting to expand under Simeone. So they're still, they're not as solid as they were once, but they're still pretty solid. But actually what we're seeing in terms of actually coaching, attacking football, this left-hand side where Samuel Lino and, and Rodrigo Raquel may are interchanging in that role, it's all very exciting. And actually we're seeing a lot more of Atleti's attacking talents come out to play than we've seen in previous years. And they showed that again here. The Kaip is not an easy place to go. And they were brilliant. Really, really brilliant. So continue to shout out Atleti at the moment because Griezmann is just a joy to behold when he's in this kind of form and Atleti are literally on his coattails coming along for the ride and it's great fun so yeah and Lazio also ensured their qualification they won 2-0 against Celtic Mm -hmm. (laughs) look Celtic have had a dreadful run in this competition but actually they were okay here um look Lazio made a lot of changes as well Tati Castellanos led the line instead of Immobile and Lazio pretty much toiled in front of goal for long periods of this game Immobile came on, scored twice in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, oh, okay, cool. He's just so come I'm on. chatting to Joe Hart after and I was like, what's that about? Yeah, it was one. The first one's unlucky. It's a deflected cross that he does really well to turn home. The second one is brilliant. Like dances around the defender after cutting in behind him. Um, and just look, big man for the big occasion, right? There's not much you can not much you can do about that. Atleti and Lazio now play each other in Madrid on the final day to see who tops the group. And final travel to Celtic Park already assured of their Europa League spot. So not going to be fireworks, you'd imagine. Uh, Celtic Park, there's not going to be, there's nothing to play for for Celtic apart from trying to end this winless streak in the Champions League. So that one may be one to, to give a miss, but we'll see what happens for Brendan Rodgers' side. And that's that for part one. After the break, we're going to be talking all about Wednesday. Don't go anywhere. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, 
Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to Champions League Take where we're moving on to Wednesday's action now and another Match day in the Champions League, another thriller involving Manchester United. Dude. Honestly, every week uh, when there's a Champions League game, we like let's try not to do Man United as a, as a detail game. We all we talk about Man United so much on this podcast, and then you watch the game and you're like, well, can't not talk about it. Can't can't avoid it. Unavoidable. Galatasaray three, Manchester United three. One of the most enjoyable games I've watched in a long oh, time. Oh, extremely enjoyable game. Like one of the best Champions League group matches you could have ever watched, really. Like there's so much going on. End-to-end football, chaotic weather conditions. Um, literally no idea what was going to happen next. United 2-0 up, 3-1 up. Um, but obviously can't uh, can't manage a game. So we're never actually going to get this done. Bruno Fernandes tried his best, came up with one worldie uh, and then almost won it with yeah. one that, that hits the post. Um, Andre Onana, I'm not going to go into detail on his performance, but let's just say Manchester United need to buy a goalkeeper for the Champions League. He's great in the Premier League now. He's, he's, he's sussed that out. Champions League, not so much. Mr. Butterfingers himself, um, he's he's having a, a hair of a campaign. And Man United really um, clutching at straws now to to stay in this competition. And let's hope it's not Onana clutching at those straws because he won't be able to hold on to him. Um, Ten Hag, I feel a bit sorry for him here because they were doing well, and at two 0 you were like, okay, this is this is looking good, but. Your instinct at 2-0 was like, well, well how's it going to go wrong? Because it's going to. Um, i got to say, like watching it, I was thinking, what, what really do we take from this that's a concern? And I think Amrabat's a big worry. I think the fact that Amrabat isn't working out and gets dragged before the hour mark, looking unhappy, yes, he was on a yellow. I think it's just a really big concern. I don't think he's trusted. And there are whispers around United that... People are disappointed in him after the, all the effort that they put into signing him. Doesn't offer enough on the ball would, to would make, make up for... That all the effort they put into signing him involved them then having to do a loan deal on the final day because they spent the entire summer dragging their heels. So, you know, point where it's due. Yeah, but I don't think he's lowered his playing standards because he's on loan. Like, you'd think no, he'd know, still but, be, you know, he'd they, still be playing to a certain standard. If he was going to be their number one target, you'd expect them to have actually just gone through with it earlier than they did. And, and yeah, you know but, what? He hasn't had a pre-season now. And, you know, this is all, I think this all feeds in. And we talk about this with loads of different clubs. Hasn't had a preseason, didn't get that chance to bed in, hasn't had a run of games in the team because the rotations have been so dramatic in this United side. And understandably so considering results and performances, fine. But actually, he hasn't had a chance to bed himself in. And so therefore, when he doesn't look like he's settled within this side, I sort of sitting there going, well, why is anyone surprised? Mm. Problem is, though, he doesn't defend his defence. You know, he, he doesn't protect anyone. And that's ultimately what he's back. brought that in works. for. Yeah. Um, he was preferred to copy my news as a starter here. And that's probably because of his level of experience and what you've seen him do before. But he couldn't get a grip of the game. And then my new ends up coming on for him and actually showed, to be honest, that inexperience doesn't matter when you're this good. Turned in a solid 7 out of 10 performance, my new. Uh, again, impressed by him. I would expect that Mainu might be fancied ahead of him. And I think that Ten Hag here is going to have to go with his instincts and not think too deeply about what's the better thing to do here. Most Man United fans want to see Mainu in this team now. And let's see what they do when they go to Newcastle the weekend. It'll be an interesting choice. My other takeaway is that Anthony actually had a good game. He did, yeah. Um, he did, yeah. Now, you could read this two ways. I don't know if it means that actually he should go and play in the Turkish league <laughs> or if it means he might finally be coming into form. 
you can make your own reading of it, take what you will, but he did have a good game. Yeah, he did have a good game. He, he was very good, actually, I thought. And look, he was up against Angelino, so it's it's not a standard of defender that people have, have unheard of. Or, or it's, I mean, it wasn't, you know, Sasha Bowie on the other side who's linked with Manchester United and actually had another very good I don't game think he'd be joining because he kicked so many people and upset so many people. I don't think it'd be a good idea for him to rock up. Look, I just, I don't think this Galatasaray side are easy to play against by any stretch of the imagination, especially in midfield. They're so energetic. And look, Lucas Torreira has found a new lease of life here and I love watching him play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just such yeah. A, a fun player when he's in that kind of form, that real dynamo in the middle he must be an absolute nightmare to play against. Just he's everywhere all of the time. There is concerns here, but generally I didn't think United were that bad. I thought Gala were quite good. I thought United were okay. And actually it was just a really good game. I don't think there's many players there who look at and go, oh, they dropped an absolute clanger. Anana made a mistake, sure. But he has been good in the Premier League, as you say. It wasn't great for the second goal, but the other two not loads he can do about, especially yeah. in that third one, which is exceptional. It was a game of good goals. It was a game where, you know, it was swung end to end. It got a bit chaotic, but there was a lot on the line for both teams. I just think it might have just been a product of its environment. And sometimes I think you have to just enjoy those games for what they were. Yeah. And I really enjoyed this one. So yeah. that was actually that it was the most fun I've seen United in a long time. Even yeah, you know, and I'm sure definitely. that United fans will be listening to this going, I don't care. I want to see us win. And that's completely fair and it's completely their prerogative. But just as a game where I've watched United, even the 3-0 against Everton, I thought was a bit mucky. In attack here, I thought they were fluid. I thought they were good. They clicked in nice areas. There was lots of opportunities. It was as good as an attacking display as I've seen for them in a long while. Yeah, I mean, the one trait I didn't expect this team to have about them would to be good in hostile atmospheres. I thought they would absolutely shatter. They went to Everton and uh, shut them up very early on. And when they were leading 2-0 here after all the welcome to hell stuff, I was like, do they just love it when everybody hates them? Is this like more like the old Man United? They started to crumble, so I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm going to move on from Man United because we talk about them too much. Let's go over to Madrid. Um, Real Madrid 4, Napoli 2. In the end, um, a nice moment as 19-year-old Nico Paz got a goal for Real Madrid. Um, keeper should probably have saved it, but it was a nice one. Yeah, so he had such a good game. Yeah, a, ni- a nice one to mark up, but that's not my big takeaway. Um, my takeaway is that Zinedine Bellingham, his off-the-ball work might be the best I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't analysed this widely enough yet but my immediate takeaway was like I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone do this this well and I'm going to take this even further Jack and this is a massive one I'm going in early I'm backing Real Madrid to win the Champions League and when I say I'm backing Real Madrid to win the Champions League I'm going to do something I never do and actually bet on Real Madrid to win the Champions League because I had a quick look during this game I noticed that People have them as third or fourth favourites to win this trophy. You can get odds of like eight to one. And while I would never normally do this, I'm like watching it unfold. I'm seeing what they've got in them. The traits that are good about Real Madrid. The fact that Bellingham is playing like this. There's no Vinicius for a game like that. And Rodrigo the last few weeks is coming out of himself a bit more. The depth that they've got in the midfield. There are fragilities in that side. But for winning one-off games, they've still got that Oh, they've got something about them that I think the favourite City and Bayern might not have. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to bet on them. We're going to see what happens with that. Going back to Bellingham. Real Madrid winning the Champions Dean Jones backing Real Madrid to win the Champions League. Never I've never actually bet money. I've, I've backed them plenty of times. I've never bet on them. And because they're not considered favourites, I think I'm going to do it because I think it's silly that they're not favourites, especially when you see Jude Bellingham playing like this. Um, I watched them play against Atletico Madrid earlier this season, and I don't think I can back a side that played like that against Atleti to uh, to win the Champions League at this point. But I do well, think they're growing. I agree that they're growing, and I think that eight to one feels long odds for a team that have a history of going and doing this, even when they're not good. And right now, they are good. Yeah, I mean, mate, Bellingham is so so good that. Honestly, like, so on the first goal, like Rodrigo's goal, again, like he was kind of a carbon copy almost of what he did the other day, but 
Bellingham's run to that one is so important. He he keeps doing this. He keeps taking defenders out of the game with these runs from deep. He arcs his run around the outside. He does it all game long. And he's just like the fact don't he does it for the do. first goal and the third and the fourth goal yeah. is pretty stunning, right? It's, he does it's it all the ability. time though. And well, look, his movement as, as well for the second goal, which he actually scores. Is just different gear. I mean, the minute before Madrid actually score that goal, he's the one who really starts it with getting the ball moving. He is shifting the Napoli defence around. Like, he drops into the left channel for a little bit, plays a couple of passes in there. Then he shifts himself out further wide, makes a pass there. Then he drifts into a more typical attacking midfield role. And he starts to, like, make, he makes a couple of movements in there, which are dragging people out of position but he's not getting the ball so he moves again he goes to look again and then finally just as he's not seems like he's not going to get the ball Madrid get the ball into an area and Bellingham suddenly makes this run off the shoulder it's like a forwards roll runs off of him and scores this brilliant header it was such a good goal when you go back and watch the whole movement Jude Bellingham was absolutely sensational I saw someone describe him as having Cavani's movements and Ronaldo's finishing and honestly it's not a bad take it's actually not it's in, really not a bad take and in um, Kante's off the ball work <laughs> it's crazy how many things that he's good at but this off the ball work we know all the stuff he does on the ball but his off the ball stuff is sensational um, like you say on the fourth goal which he sets up he Starts the move in the middle of the pitch. He passes and then he makes a strong run out to the left. Gets the, the ball back. In the 90th minute, we should add. Yeah. I think this is it. With a shoulder injury. Yeah. yeah. Broken shoulder. And just delivers an unbelievable outside of the boot pass to the far post for a simple tap in for Hosolu, who's been crying out for a moment like that. Well, to be like, fair, he'd missed about three beforehand where exactly. he should have scored. Like, he just needed, Bellingham like, was getting more and more. <laughs> give me a chance I can't miss. Okay, there you go. Go to bed nice tonight. Um, yeah, he's, this is it, mate. And I, you try to look for other things as a takeaway from a Real Madrid game. But all you come away from is thinking and talking about Jude Bellingham. Um, as I say, if it's his off-the-ball movement, if it's his the way he hits a ball or strikes a ball or passes a ball, it's all perfect. The power he's got about him physically, but and the way he can hit one. Mate, he's just he's just elite and it's just like stupid how quickly he's grown into this player. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. I thought I was gonna be like, can we can we come away from talking about Bellingham? Can we come I'll away try it for the next time. I'll try it next time. Can we come away from talking about United? The answer seems to be no. In <laughs> this is what, yeah. I texted yeah. you just being like Bellingham, man. It's ridiculous. I know it's funny because as you and as you'd sent me that, I'd I'd like just put together my final notes on Bellingham, thinking I can't avoid this. I just can't not talk about the lad. Okay, let's go to North London, where Arsenal won six 0 against RC Lons and booked their spot in the last sixteen. It yeah, was that's impressive. Not- not a bad return, is it, to the Champions League Arsenal? Um, that's the 12 points, top of the group. Like it, It's just been such a, a nice way for them to return to the top table and start to show that they do belong here. He's played five goals. You've got uh, five games and you've got 15 goals along the way and you've only conceded three sitting on top of the group. I, I've, I've seen the goals from this game. I haven't seen it deep, but it just looks so convincing. It was. It was really, really convincing. And my big takeaway was maybe this was the night that Arsenal's attack clicked. And, you know, other Premier League fans will be looking at this and going, well, it's a French side, it's Lons. You know, they, they have not come up against really top quality opposition. But Lons have been good. They've been in really good form in the last sort of five, six games. They've conceded 13 goals in 13 games in Liga, they are a very, very good side and a very well-drilled side. And actually the way that they set up today was to frustrate Arsenal. And instead, they were blitzed. So I think this might have been the moment where Arsenal went, this is what we can do again. We've spoken loads about the fact that Arsenal haven't been fluid, haven't been golden in attack. And yet, tonight, they unleashed. And I think this front five really, of of Saka, Erdegaard, Jesus, Havertz and Martinelli, all of whom got on the score sheet, were irresistible. 
for long periods of this. Now, part of this is Kai Havertz finally starting to step up to the mark for Arsenal. So he's obviously got the big goal against Brentford, the late winner at the weekend. And then he got the opener here and his movement for it, exceptional. Just the first player off the mark, the first player looking to get those knockdowns. And it's what we saw from him when he was at Leverkusen that you don't get from him when he's playing as an out-and-out number nine. When he is allowed to drift into those spaces and play as that you know, second shadow striker, his movement is as good as anyone's I've seen in a long, long time. But we haven't really seen him do that for anyone. And even when he's played in this Arsenal midfield, it's been in a slightly different role. He was really pushed up on Jesus here, like very close to him. Their interchanges were nice. The fact that Havertz was able to hold the ball up and bring other people into play was really tasty as well. But just generally, the way that these five worked in the attacking thirds were brilliant. And you add to that that Tomiyasu now playing at right back and has kind of taken that spot quietly off Ben White without anyone really noticing. It's a couple of games in a row now that he's started at right back and Zinchenko kind of coming in down the other side. It just was way too much for Lance. And when Arsenal are in this kind of form and this kind of mood, there are very few that could stand, stand against an attack of this quality because it has so many divergent parts and mm. everybody moves around and everybody drifts into different zones. You know, the, the way that Saka scores his goal is he gets a knockback off the keeper when he's basically playing as a centre forward. Martinelli dives into those roles, Havertz drifts wide and Zinchenko tucks inside. There's so many different bits that's incredibly hard for any defence to keep hold of them all when they actually click. And tonight they really clicked. The second half was much of a nothing, to be honest. It, it very much was Arsenal just knocking the ball around, controlling the game. A lot of substitutions early that allowed Arteta to rest those players. We saw Saka come off early, which was really nice to see because that man needs a rest. But generally, just the way that Arsenal played in this first half was absolutely irresistible. And it just might have been the night where we saw just why Arsenal should be considered title contenders this year because we've talked about the defence We've talked about the fact that it's built on good foundations and that that's only improving week on week. But tonight they show that they can do it at the other end, especially against a team that come in to frustrate, to sit deep. We haven't seen them smash apart low blocks this season. We did tonight. Yeah, look, mate, I mean, they've been pretty boring so far in the Premier League. Like, there haven't been that many weeks when they've gone out and played scintillating football. There have been a few phases of it, but typically they've gone about their work differently. So to see that they've gone out and, and battered someone um, is something that I think everybody needed, you know, the players and the fans and the manager probably, just to see that they can probably sweep someone aside because that's what great teams have the capability to do. Man City will frequently go and score five, six goals against teams to show their superiority, but also to have fun. Players, Anyone that plays football just loves scoring goals, battering people, coming off the pitch, having had fun. I don't think Arsenal have actually had a lot of fun so far this season. They've been good. They're top of the Premier League. But not many times I've watched them and thought they've enjoyed that. They've enjoyed moments and clinching wins. But over the course of 90 minutes, I think tonight they'll be, they'd have got a different feeling about that one. And I think it will bode well for them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very impressive from Arteta's side. And nice for them to be in that last 16, in the hat and, and comfortable with a game to spare as well, because it does allow a little bit more rotation in what is going to be a busy period. Um, let's come on. Let's go to Portugal, to the Stadio de Luz, where Benfica drew 3 all with Inter. Now, on paper, that's a good result for Benfica, considering <laughs> how bad they've been in this competition, in reality, uh, they were booed off at the full-time whistle because mm. Benfica were 3-0 up at half-time. Mm. And João Mario, playing against his old side, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was the first signing of Inter's era under Suning. So okay. he was seen as a pretty marquee signing at that point. He's ended up at Benfica and he came off like a shot. And in the first half, I was so impressed Considering how poor Benfica have been, this was everything that we've lacked or they've lacked. We've lacked to see from them throughout this season so far. And it's been a rocky road for Roger Schmidt. And it hasn't got any better tonight. Now, they, I think he saved his job the other week when they ended up beating Sporting in the Lisbon derby right at the death. But the performances in the Champions League have been what people have been absolutely apoplectic about in the red side of Lisbon. But... 
this was the most Jekyll and Hyde performance I think I've ever seen. Now, Inter weren't great in the first half, don't get me wrong, but I've seen Benfica play badly against worse teams mm. than an eight changes Inter. And instead, they came out with bite, they came out with passion, they came out with hunger. It, they were snapping into challenges. The return of Florentino Luis helped, but generally it was just like, okay, this is everything that we've been missing from this Benfica side throughout this entire campaign. And Inter came in at halftime, you're going, wow, they've left a lot of players on the bench. There's a lot of talent on the bench. Obviously, he's going to make changes here, Inzaghi. Mm -hmm. He's going to have to. And he didn't. He didn't make any changes at all. He actually just went, go out there and sort yourselves out. And they did. They came out and it was like, it was like if the two teams had switched kits at halftime, you wouldn't have noticed the difference. That, maybe, they did. Uh, maybe they did. But it was it was so incredibly bad from Benfica in the second half. As much as Inter improved, and we shouldn't take away from them, they are a side that everyone will fear. They, they got to the final last year. There's no reason they can't be in that conversation again. The fact that they were able to do this, having made so many changes, incredible. But it just was a one of those performances where you're looking at it from a Benfica perspective and thinking, how on earth? Have you let this slip? Mm. And it could have been worse. Antonio Silva got sent off, set straight red for the second time in five games in the group stage. This is just, one, not acceptable. And two, mm. it's a really, really lazy challenge. He's a little bit unlucky in that it's his trailing leg, but like, you just can't make tackles like that. And, you know, it, it set it up. Inter hit the bar in the dying seconds. Barella from beautiful DeMarco cutback. Both of them had come on late in. And... You're just thinking, if Benfica had lost that game, having been 3-0 up, there would have been riots. Like, yeah. the fact is that one a point against Inter, who are the best side in this group, is okay. It's not dreadful. And it does just about keep Benfica in the hunt for European football in the spring in the Europa League. But to be winning 3-0 and to have put yourself into a position where you're like, okay, all we need to do now do is, is get a point against Salzburg and we'll be playing European football and to fall back and now need to go there and win by two clear goals as well. Yeah. Just insane. Absolutely insane behaviour. Um, no idea what's going on at the Luz, but um, it's not great from Roger Schmidt's voice. Um, mm. But it was the night of the comeback because Sevilla played PSV and were 2-0 up and lost three to This was unreal. This Incredible. Was unreal. Incredible. Another one with a weird red card. Um, this is a second yellow for Lucas Campos. And he does Tunilla. kind of fly into him. It's a bit of a weird. He, he gets his he gets his foot stuck in the turf. I think. Oh, does he? And I think Didn't that, that it's one of those where I think he's not trying really to do anything. I think he gets caught in the floor, and so mm. it's a little bit unfortunate. I think it is a second yellow in that the action is, but yeah. he's unfortunate. To, to actually pick it up. Killed them, um, didn't it? It really did. It really did kill them. They were 2-0 up. Sergio Ramos scored uh, from a free kick early on and Enesiri added a second just after the break. Then Acampos gets sent off 66th minute. 68th minute, Saibari scores. <laughs> a really beautiful goal. Probably the goal of Wednesday night. Um, another one, a hooked volley from behind him. I've got a thing for these kind of goals, if you haven't noticed by now. Um then they score an own goal. Gooday puts the ball into his own net. And in the 92nd minute, Ricardo Pepe, the USMNT international, heads home for 3-2. Um, incredible. And it looked like Sevilla were well on their way to getting back into their favoured Europa League. Yeah. And now it's, uh, well, it's a big ask now. It's a oh, big man. ask now. Um, brilliant for PSV, though. It means that they only need to avoid defeat on the final day and they're assured of their spot as well. Yeah. So fantastic. Um, yeah. they've, they came from behind, but they've, they've been good in the last two games. I think in this competition after a rocky start, obviously they got battered by Arsenal, then two draws, which they really should have done better in both. Um, but the two wins now have put them in pretty comfortable position. So yeah, good stuff. From yeah. PSV. Enjoyed. No, it was good scenes. Yeah. I saw, I saw, I saw the end of that one. I'm celebrating that win. And, uh, what what a feeling! What a feeling to come back from two down and win it like that at the end. Like that is what football's all about. Um, it's it's not about VAR. It's about moments like that. Yeah, absolutely. nice nice to see no no handball. By the way, talking of handballs, I've just seen um, the Kai Havertz handball um, against Lons that that wasn't given, where it comes off his knee onto his hand, and that should be a penalty. <laughs> 
All that right. should be a penalty, people. Okay. All right. Let me ref these games. I'll do it. Lots Get of me in the VAR in booth. VAR room. We will have penalties, penalties all over the shop, mate. It'll be exactly. great. Loads exactly. of goals. All right. Three draws to finish us off. Braga drew one all with Union Berlin. Uh, it means that Union's winless streak was extended to 16 games. But there were signs of life here, especially in the first half. Weirdly, Union seemed to get worse after Braga went down to 10 men. Um, but falling away in the second half has been a bit of a feature of their season. So not 100% mm. sure that the the change of management has sorted out all the problems there. There was a nice thing here um, in that we had the first ever female assistant coach on a Champions League, yes. which is cool. Marie-Louise um, Etta uh, became, yeah, made history tonight for Union yeah. Berlin. So that was nice. First game under the new manager, Bielica. Um, they were better in the first half. And the same old problems in the second. So we'll see if he's able to change things. Probably in the Bundesliga's winter break is where that's going to happen, if it happens. Um, Real Sociedad drew nil, nil with RB Salzburg at Anoeta. Bit of a damp squib, this, to be honest. Um, lots of changes for Real Sociedad as well from, from their win at the weekend over Sevilla. And Salzburg, I think, were relatively happy with a point because it kept them in contention. I don't think they thought that Benfica were going to get a point and it leaves that one... Uh, quite exciting uh, at the very least, but they, they knew that a point would probably be enough to secure a Europa League spot. So they were pretty happy. Real Sociedad knew that they were already qualified. Lots of changes. Not much happened here. Um, Bryce Mendes had a good shot. was about it, really, genuinely, mm. um, across that one. <laughs> and then Bayern 2 0 0 with Copenhagen. Bayern came into this game with 17 consecutive group stage victories at home. How about that? 17. Nuts, isn't it? That's over. Um, yeah. But that's over now anyway. That's so over. they didn't get 18. Uh, they made a heap of changes as well. It really showed. Tuchel said that they were tired after the international break. And it really felt that way on the pitch as well. They didn't really have any width. They played Matthias Tell kind of in a wide role and it didn't really work. Um, ultimately, there was a late penalty that Bayern were awarded and then was overturned which should have, have been a allowed them to win 1-0. Should have been a perm. It wouldn't have really made a difference. Bayern were under- would, It would have been 1-0. <laughs> well, yes, but actually in terms of how this group plays out, it wouldn't have made a huge difference. What I will say is that if Bayern play like this at Old Trafford, United have a puncher's chance. No. They do. Like, if they play like they? that at Old Trafford... They're not going to do that at Old Trafford. I don't think they will because I think they will treat that occasion with slightly more reverence and you know Mate, there's obviously even if history Bayern... competition etc but this was loads of changes Goretzka was playing at centre back at one point it, it was all very uncomfortable I didn't really enjoy yeah. watching it at all and actually Copenhagen had the better chances towards the end Manuel Neuer made a really good save to deny them actually nicking all three points which would have been the death knell for United's hopes yeah, of, of getting into the last 16 but yeah, one of those. Again, not a great game, not a particularly exciting game to watch. Um, and the changes really showed, and it was a tired performance from Bayern, to be honest. Yeah. Look, um, Harry Kane up against Onana in the Champions League. Um, Onana needs to needs to come out with a special performance here. Uh, if you look, United will, will go into that game. Old Trafford will be unbelievable that night. Like the the at the beginning of that match, it'll be an unbelievable atmosphere. Um, United fans do somehow always manage to keep believing. Yeah, I mean, it's that also they uncomfortable that in the other game in the group, a win for either side sees them qualify, right? So, like, there is easy. that there is that belief, but um, it's going to be a, a hard night and. Because of the frustrations that they've experienced so far this season in the Champions League of of actually getting the job done, like that's going to be sticking into their head. And the you know Bayern Munich typically don't have that mentality problem, and they will just play what's in front of them. They won't play the occasion; they'll play what's in front of them. And if Man United start to show any nerves on that occasion, they'll get eaten up. So, be really interesting. That'll be a big game, and I'm sure we'll be talking about. It's one of our talking points. <laughs> no doubt whatsoever. Uh, unless Bayern win 3 0, in which case we'll probably yeah, in which just, case like, we'll just leave it. <laughs> we'll just leave it be. Um, and on that bombshell, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. So, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate.
I've been Jack Collins, Name of Hearts. This has been your Champions League takeaway on Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go and check out the other episode we released this week. Sam Tai returned to Ranks FC to talk about the best centre-backs in the world right now. It was a heap of fun having the whole gang back together for our 200th episode on this feed. Thank you to everyone who's been a part of that journey and thank you to everyone who's jumped on and shared with us their Spotify raps yeah, for the year. A few it's of been, them. been really, really lovely seeing you all and, and seeing seeing the podcast in those raps. So thank you so much as ever for everything, Rank Squad. And we'll see you very shortly. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.